everybody, and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 131st episode of the podcast, airing March 7th, 2022. Now, in this episode, I'm pleased to welcome special guest Claire Gallagher to join me in conversation on body astrology, where Claire and I talk all about the relationship the planets, signs, and elements have in our daily health needs and wellness routines. She shares a few of the core principles from her newly released book, Body Astrology, A Cosmic Guide to Health, Healing, and Harnessing the Power of the Planets, including the impact the sun, moon, and rising sign play in what she terms as the body astrology triad. And we talk about using the power of the planets to rebalance and restore your natural energy and how you can become your own body astrologer through the use of this celestial information. It really was a delightful and illuminating talk indeed, and so we do hope that you find it useful. Now, if you'd like to see us live in action, you can also watch this episode on YouTube. Now, if you want to support this program, you can come on over to my website at energeticprinciples.com where you can leave a tip in my tip jar or you can book a personal consultation with yours truly on my services page. And of course, you're going to want to sign up for my monthly transit newsletter, The Heavenly Wind, which lays out the monthly transits at the beginning of each month. March just went out. And it is a valuable newsletter that shows you all the uh, astrology that's going on. I have some tarot polls that I share and, of course, the Animal Ambassador of the Month. Now, I also want to announce that I have a new consultation called Future Vibes, the three-month hotspot reading. And so if you are familiar with my consults, what I would do before is I had a Future Vibes that was only a year ahead, which of course I still have if you want to look at the bigger picture of the year. But now I offer this one-hour consultation that is designed to look at a three-month, more of a micro period of time. And so in this consultation, we'll focus on the lunation cycles, uh, time lord activations, and any major long-term transits or progressions that may be present in that quarterly time frame. So you're going to want to bring your planner to jot down the potent dates uh, that can be put to good external use or where you actually have benefit uh, from valuable context, you know, because when you know what's going on in the moment, it makes a lot more sense. Now, this consult will also conclude with three animal ambassadors who will act as monthly guides. So if you want to sign up for that, once again, energeticprinciples.com over on my services page. And of course, I'll probably have a, a link in wherever you listen to the podcast. And just a quick note before we get into our program here that Spencer Michaud is about to wrap up his three-part Winter Decans series here with the Decans of Pisces, which is going to air on Saturday, March 12th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, So once again, if you don't know, Spencer is doing these two-and-a-half-hour live interactive online workshops where he takes you through all the information of the signs that he's focusing on. So this month, of course, is Pisces. And so he'll be looking at the esoteric meanings of Pisces, the diamonds associated with the sign, tarot, syncretizations, fixed star associations, uh, 
and just rich history of the sign faces, Piscean mythology, archetypes, you name it, because Spencer really gets in there. So if you want to sign up for that, uh, you can do so in the link in this description where you listen to the podcast, and it'll be $45 for the two and a half hour webinar, or you can get the three-part bundle of all the winter Deccan series for $125. Now, of course, if you use my special code, which is EP20, you'll get 20% off either option. So once again, to sign up or access that code or the link, you can do so in the description of this podcast. All right, so who is ready to hear all about the body and astrology? Here we go. Now let's meet our guest. All right. I am so happy to welcome to the program. We have Claire Gallagher with us here today. Thanks for joining me, Claire. I am so happy to be here, Mel. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And so Claire, I, you know, Claire is new on my radar. Uh, it's, I was reached out, uh, by to her, to her assistant, by her assistant (laughs) to let me know of a new book that you have out. And usually I'm not one when you have like, when you get requests, because when you have a podcast, people send you requests to be on. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, like, that's how, that's how people get found. Um, but, uh, I was really intrigued with the book, uh, which is called body astrology, a cosmic guide to health, healing, and harnessing the power of the planet. Um, and so I thought, yeah, and this book is fresh, fresh, right? Mm. Brand One new. month ago yesterday, I think. Yeah. Yay. Well, congratulations. And Thanks. so I'm excited to pick your brain about it. So Uh, Before we get started here, uh, just tell the listeners like a little tidbit about yourself, you know, who you are, where you're located, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my name is Claire Gallagher. I'm a professional astrologer and I call myself also a post-wellness guide. So my background is actually in acupuncture, although I no longer practice acupuncture and I'm also a nutritionist, but I'm an anti-diet nutritionist. So that's where the post-wellness little blip comes in. So lots of thoughts on that, but I'm located in the Blue Ridge mountains, basically in the greater Asheville area. Um, and that that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. Virgo sun, Aquarius moon, Sag goofy rising. That's basically it. <laughs> I love us. My partner is a Sag goofy rising. So, you know, actually, actually with the same, uh, Jupiter placement as you. So I want oh, to, you must be close in age now that I think about it. Um, but, uh, I do love him. So you're, you're Perfect. a fast win in my book. Um, that's interesting that you bring up like, uh, well, well, real quickly, although I know it's not a real quick subject about like the, you know, the post wellness. Cause that's the thing that I've been noticing a lot. And, um, and actually talked about this on the program that I did on the nodal panel with, mm-hmm. when we were talking about, uh, the Taurus North node and the Scorpio South node, and just noticing like a pushback to diet, uh, culture and things along those lines. I think about Taurus and, and, in the body and, and mm-hmm. wellness and what, you know, the, Venusian impulse to, to wholeness and what that looks like. And it just mm-hmm. felt like the next like year and a half is going to really push more of that momentum, um, and uproot some of those, uh, you know, societal and cultural wellness directives that have been driving us for so long. So you're definitely a proponent of the change of that system, right? Yeah. And my nodal return is happening, you know, with the Taurus Scorpio axis and, yeah, it's a really, it's actually a big part of the book story as well. I kind of had this 
writing a book is a three-year process for me. And during that time, I realized, oh my God, I need to make sure I fix what I can to make sure this book aligns with what I am realizing is my actual belief system around food, because the way we're taught to practice nutrition has always felt terrible to me. And I know it doesn't work because I watch my clients struggle and suffer with this diet mentality of you can eat this, you can't eat that. And I'm like, there's gotta be something better, (laughs) something more nourishing. And I, I wholeheartedly agree that Taurus North node that using pleasure and Venusian aspects as a doorway into well-being instead of Saturnian restriction mm-hmm. um, that we're taught is how how we do wellness. I, I really disagree. <laughs> so um, yeah, writing a book around health in a way where you didn't shut everyone out. You know, you were welcoming, you were open, you didn't judge anyone for their journey, but also like whispering, there's a better way than removing foods. It was very challenging for me to hold both, but I tried my best. Yeah. It, 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 it seems challenging, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> but it makes a whole lot of sense when you think about it to have, um, I mean, when I think about wellness, it, it doesn't feel like restriction would necessarily fit no with with just naturally you know like i mean it's good to have boundaries and certain limits around some things but to wholeheartedly have systems where it's just the 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 quality of restriction because i mean speaking as a cancer food (laughs) is joy you know like food is life food is pleasurable um and nourishing to the the, to the emotional self like i love Mm -hmm. a good meal you know and especially to share that share that with friends and i've always found myself to be an intuitive eater uh and i didn't even know that was a thing until recently where um i had heard it come up more like i recommend intuitive eating you know eat what your body tells you when your body is telling you that like a craving you're you have a craving for a reason Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and um during my sabbatical because after i finished writing the book i was just absolutely done. And I had a little bit of time before it came out. I was like, you know what, I'm going to get certified in intuitive eating. So now I'm an intuitive eating counselor as well. And it really meshes wonderfully with reading people's charts and, uh, having discussions about what actually feels good to their particular unique astrological anatomy. Cause it's not going to be the same as yours and yours and yours and yours. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very custom, just like a chart is, um, makes, makes total sense. Uh, so before we dive into some of those, um, those aspects of looking at your chart and kind of understanding this a little bit more, uh, you know, Claire, what, what actually got you even into astrology (laughs) to begin with, and then especially to go on the, the healing and health side of it. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, true, story as I grew up really scared of astrology. I grew up in a religious environment. And, um, (laughs) so I was always curious, but I was like, no, you can't look, don't go there. Um, but I eventually broke free from that. There was a lot of religious, um, trauma healing that needed to occur in my life. And long story short, um, I became very sick when I was in my early twenties and about 1920. And that put me on a path of, you know, what's, what's going on? How can I help myself? And who are my allies? 
And that eventually led me to study acupuncture and to study nutrition. Um, and while I was at school one day, I was like rushing between class and clinic and my part-time job. There was a flyer in the bathroom for a medical astrology conference. And I was like, I mean, I have to pee all the time. And I was like, thank you, bladder. Cause something about this. <laughs> feels like I need to go. And it, it felt really kind of like a magical thing. You know, it was just there. I was never really interested in it. I was still kind of scared about, um, the idea of something telling me what was happening, what the future would hold. I'm, you know, Uranus on the ascendant. I'm just like, don't tell me what to do. Um, so I was still pretty like nervous about like, opening this box, but at that point I had been in school for Chinese medicine for four years. And so the idea of uh, constellations and body systems and all of that, um, having a common vocabulary made sense to me at that point. And so that opened me up to go to this conference. And so I just showed up to the conference and I had no idea what they were talking about. It was like way over my head. And yet I was like, this is my thing. I just know it's that resolve like in my bones. And so that led to starting classes and led to getting tutoring in medical astrology specifically. And then I started practicing with all of my patients in the teaching clinic. I would just gather charts and um, watch them as they came in with their symptoms, you know, Oh, I have a rash this week. Okay. We've got Mars, you know, having, having a Mars transit or, Oh, this (laughs) happened. It was such a great learning tool. Um, but yeah, I actually came to astrology quite late in life. I mean, a lot of pro astrologers grow up loving it. And I was so frightened and told it was bad and all of these things. Um, but when I got to it, it was like next level, 100% of my time was spent <laughs> studying and practicing. Yeah. Yeah. You dedicate, you dedicated, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right to it. Well, you know what I asked all, uh, of my guests for the most part, what got them into astrology and, and when, and all that. And you'd be surprised, including myself. I mean, it was my Saturn return when I, you know, took, took the plunge. I, I never had a fear of it. I had an interest in stuff. And, um, when I was in like high school, uh, as any mm. witchy, witchy Scorpio rising would do, um, but you'd be surprised how many the, the Saturn return period seemed to be such a, a prominent or the or the second Jupiter return about 24. Mm. That's that's a, that's a big one, too. Um, and it's actually quite rare when I talk to someone who was had grown up with it um, or had it like in instilled within them from their family. I wouldn't say it's quite rare, but they're definitely not the majority. Let's say that. That's a good Um, point. And, you know, to your point, it was my Saturn return in the 12th house in Scorpio when I was like, this is happening. (laughs) You surrendered to the impulse of astrology. Fall into this, you know, this whole astrology situation. You you dove in, you dove in Scorpio style. (laughs) That's funny. I wonder if you, yeah. And then having, uh, that South node activated too. If it was kind of like, you know, you know, I, if you believe in such things as past lives, which I do, you never know, like where you come from could have a situation. If you were like persecuted for such yeah. things, you know, or something, you know, it, I could see where you'd be like, I don't know. That seems a little scary to me. Um, 
And of course the culture that you grow up in, it's like, I noticed that a lot of times with Sagittarius, prominent Sagittarius, especially sun and rising um, or rising uh, where there is this organized religion component that seems to come in with, with people's stories and, and mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but fascinating, Claire, I love, I love hearing people's stories and how they get there. So let's dive into a little bit more about this body astrology. Cool. Um, and I mean, one of the first things when we think about, uh, our constitution for the most part, we're going to think about our luminaries and our rising because, you know, mm-hmm. our, our luminaries is essentially what lights, lights us up in life, especially the moon with the body and, uh, the first house being a point of the body too. So what I know your book covers, uh, how the sun, the moon and the rising relate to mm-hmm. your body and your daily routine. So can you expand upon that more? Yeah. I I do a lot of deconstruction in the book around sun sign astrology, actually. Um, and you know, the sun, let me be clear, is very important in terms of being alive. And True. It's our vitality, <laughs> right? Yeah, it does represent the vital force. But when it comes to day-to-day well-being and how we feel, um, it's you know, undeniable to me that the moon is the primary player. And then behind that, I would say the ascendant is extremely important and the aspects to and from them give us the nuance. But um, yeah, I I spent a lot of time describing those big three, uh, which I call the body astrology triad in the book, just because it's also, it's worded in such a way that I wanted it to be accessible to, to anyone to pick up. And so I do a lot of teaching about that, but the basics is, how I view the, the three of them working together in health is moon is, a, it's so animal. It's really just like, this is my physical form. This is how it feels. This is how it fluctuates. This is how I eat. This is how I feel about eating. <laughs> this is how I sleep. Those sorts of things. This is how my energy moves and how it's different from somebody else's energy moving. The ascendant to me, um, is much more tangible, like my legs, my arms, my bones. Um, although there's nuance there too, there's also an immune system component to the ascendant because it's how we meet and greet everything that we come in contact with. And so I like to extend that to thinking of the ascendant also as kind of how we process, um, stimuli. So very important nervous system, area, but also just how do we digest the world around us? Um, and then the sun to me, uh, is more just like that thing that keeps us humming. (laughs) It's not necessarily like the nuts and bolts of how things feel or how things work. But if the sun is, you know, afflicted by transit or something, that's definitely going to show up, um, in the body, probably as an energetic, uh, like, fatigue, et cetera, more so, but also there's some mental health component to the sun as well and sense of self as well. So very, um, hard to pick apart sometimes the three of them, but yeah, that's how I see it. Well, there, it's like a symbiotic relationship going on between Mm. all. Um, and I, you know, I think about the sun when you were describing it, it reminds me of just like a generator. It's like, what is generate, you know, 
generating the vitality, generating the heat, generating the the personage, um, and what level what we're doing that at. And when I, you were talking about the ascendant and being kind of that like bodily constitution that meets the world in relation with the luminaries too, and so. I wonder if you notice a difference. Like I, I have one of those unique charts where my my sun, moon, and my ascendant are all the same degree. And mm. they, like my sun trines my ascendant, my moon sextiles it. And so mm. is there, a? I, I, this is a personal question. Is there like a, <laughs> let me be frank here. Um, do you notice like uh, qualities to the constitution when the luminaries are configured to the ascendant, um, versus when they're not, or when nothing's kind of talking together. I know that's a random question. This but is a really good mind. question. And I, you know, I haven't thought of like the beneficial side where they're, where they are talking, but I will say that I have a sun moon in conjunct where they don't talk. And now that you bring that up, because I've never, no one's ever articulated that kind of question to me. This is wonderful. But thinking like going in my Rolodex of charts in my head right now, yeah. and you tell us, but sometimes when the luminaries don't talk, I find that what we think the body should be and what the body actually is doesn't match up. Doesn't we match have this, up, yeah. Yeah, and so there can be this Dis discord or disconnect. Um, there's like all these sun expectations of the body. Uh, for example, I have Virgo expectations of maybe what I would be, but my Aquarius moon is like, no, no, honey, this is, <laughs> this is how we do things. Um, and so I wonder if the flip side is true for you, that maybe there's a little bit more inherent ease in, in accepting how your body rolls, but I don't know, that would be a question. I know. I, I haven't really think of it because, you know, when yeah. you think about these things, it's like, you're in the skin you're in and mm -hmm. you don't really, uh, fully understand how anybody else is processing or assimilating or living in their body. I mean, the closest yeah. you get might be to Claire because she's studying these things and, like, <laughs> you know, uh, really kind of picking apart and helping people understand this. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting as, uh, but, you know, cause some people are, are more prone to, uh, dips and wanes and vitality and, and health issues and other people, nothing, it's rarely yeah. ever happens to them. And they're just like right. cruising along and you don't yeah. really know the difference when you're just in the body that you're in. And yeah. so it, 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 I just started thinking about the luminaries configured to the ascendant and qualities there and how maybe, I don't know, that helps things hum well, or maybe not. I mean, that's a, a really great hypothesis. Maybe we should do a study. <laughs> we'll do a study. There we go. It's like to be continued on, on that <laughs> See one. in a couple of years. Yeah. So, so now that we know that the, you know, the sun, that moon, that rising is important. The moon makes a lot of sense because the moon, it goes back to that kind of intuitive eating that we were talking about and the cravings. It's like, what do, what do I crave? What do I need? It's, I feel like the, what the body needs from a nutritional standpoint, uh, would come from that, that impulse. So, I mean, there has to be some sort of like elemental, uh, energies at play, or maybe even the modalities. Um, how does that kind of come into say, if you're, you're a moon, say we have a, um, so we have a Capricorn moon like myself, but then we have a, a Taurus moon where we have both are earth oriented, but one is like 
action oriented Cardinal and Saturn. Another one is like fixed in Venus. So how, mm. how do those two kind of roll together or differently? Yeah. Um, obviously the elements have a lot of similarities in what they might need nutritionally. If we think about the earth moons, you know, one of the first things that comes to mind is stability. And so from a nutritional perspective, that would be ensuring that these earth signs have stable blood sugar. Cause that's just like a one-to-one -one mm -hmm. correlation nutritionally, but the way the energy in these signs moves or the food in these signs move is very different. So <laughs> Taurus earth, you know, it's kind of, there it is. It's a little bit more stuck. So Taurus nutritionally might need a little bit more help moving food through the body. There might need to be more fiber intake. There might mm. need to be more warmth as far as like, you know, just making sure the earth doesn't get stuck. And we could yeah. do that a lot of ways nutritionally, just like, you know, temperature of food, but also how is the food prepared? Is it easy to digest? Is it easy um, to move through the digestive system? And then Capricorn, <laughs> Capricorn to me, like when I think therapeutically of what it might need, it needs sustenance because that thing's going to climb. It's just going to keep on trucking. And so for Capricorn people, it's a, it's more about, is this food going to give me staying power? You know, mm -hmm. what is going to help me along the climb? And so it's very symbolic, but I find it to be quite true when I'm doing nutritional counseling with people. And so I would frame those needs for a Taurus moon and a Capricorn moon very differently, even though I'm still trying to get them to do the same thing, which stabilize mm -hmm. their blood sugar. The way I'm going to articulate it to either one is different. I'm just going to use different counseling skills. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> it makes me, and I pull back to my own Capricorn moon. And I think about like when I intake food that it like, well, like not long after digesting it, I'll immediately sort of know if that food gave me anything, right. like, right. Because if I, I need it, like you said, to keep propelling me and the, the, the momentum and the, all the stuff that I want to do, uh, or I feel obligated to do <laughs> real with Capricorn, all these obligations I have to meet. Um, and yeah. And so I, I will recognize, and there's like this almost emptiness feeling that comes mm. if I've eaten something that, uh, is just didn't give me anything from it. Like I need to feel like kind of that upward propelling, like the body is fueled. Like, cause there's one thing yeah. to be full, but am right. I fueled, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, Absolutely. yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. Um, what about, what about those fiery fiery moons and, and fiery folks. Yeah, totally. Um, for fiery people, and this is a generalization, which can be very dangerous, especially in physical astrology. But a lot of yes. times when we, we have, let's make that clear that we are very <laughs> unique and there's lots of underlying yeah. So we are generalizing. And if you really want to know your own makeup, you know, this is, this is what this book's for. This is what Claire's for yeah. other medical astrologers, et cetera. Yeah. But when I think of a fire moon, fire moons are hot, 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 and they burn through energy really quickly. So similar, I mean, it's funny because when you work in this field, like without the astrological lens, bodies need more or less the same thing. We need food. We need rest. We need shelter. We need those things consistently. And so we're kind of looking at giving the body all of those things just in a 
we're just spinning it with astrological flair and language. So for fire people, I want them to feel sustained and supported too, but they often are going to need to eat more frequently. They might burn through Mm -hmm. their food more fast, uh, more fast, more quickly. (laughs) And so we're going to think about like, yes, what is staying power for this moon, but also let's carry snacks. Let's set alarms that remind us to eat when we're just in this creative flow or we're out rushing around doing stuff. You know, fire moons and air moons too often need help remembering, oh, I got to come back into this earthen form and give it what it needs because I'm so busy out here, you know, connecting and creating and doing other things. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense because when you think about fire and air just as elemental energies, it's an outward reaching energy versus the earth and the water that's more inner uh, motivated. So I feel like earth and water might have more just a a natural response to maybe stop and take in what it needs or um, Mm -hmm. slow down enough to like, be like, oh, actually I'm hungry. I'm not, instead of powering through and having other stimulus, yeah, redirect it from, you know, the bodily needs. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we can also look to the the planetary rulers of the moon and the signs, you know, to get even more nuanced information about where these ideas are coming from. So like for Capricorn moon, you know, why do I care about sustaining them? Why do I care about <laughs> making sure they don't feel that empty feeling? Cause it's ruled by Saturn and Saturn needs it rules protein among other things like minerals. And so Capricorn moon people often need really nutrient dense foods as compared to like maybe somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I totally resonate with that, especially having a moon backed by Saturn and Virgo. (laughs) So Ah, it's like, I, like, I honestly, I will feel when the nutrients aren't there. Like it, it's just, I'm like, this is empty food. This is not And it almost like sucks what I had out of me. Like, even if I had nutrients, it like took them all away. And that could be more of a (laughs) hypochondriac thing with the Virgo element. But uh, yeah, you know, truthfully, Capricorn moon people, especially if there's a difficult aspect, they tend to have more nutrient deficiencies. And again, that's a generalization, but that can be something that they develop over time or with illness. And so they often need just a little bit more nutrition just simply because it's a Saturn ruled sign along with Aquarius, you know, uh, Saturn tends to, you know, just take a lot from us sometimes. <laughs> it does. There's just less yeah. of it, you know, there's, yeah. there's less and you got to supplement. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, it makes me think of with the fire moons too, or just fire in general. Um, and it makes sense. Everything kind of like assimilating very fast and like needing to have mm-hmm. snacks and like kind of keep that, that fuel running. Um, what about like the idea of like spicy foods or hot foods? Is that something that a fire moon would want to engage with, or do they already have enough spice, vigor and bim (laughs) that they don't necessarily benefit from adding more to it? Um, Ah, is the question. (laughs) So I'm sure everyone's different, but uh, yeah, sure. Okay. So when I think about my fire moon clients, yeah, I mean, they tend to be a little bit more maybe adventurous with their palate. For sure. But <laughs> the, the problem is, and, and this is not true for all fire moons. Um, if there's like, you know, a benefic involved or whatever, they can typically just go, go wild, do your thing, you know, get the spice, get the alcohol would be a fire thing too, you know, all of that, whatever. But when there's a like really hot Mars involved in the configuration, 
that is when things tend to go a little south. So Mars, uh, particularly in like Leo, I have a Mars and Leo. Um, it's just a little too hot for comfort. And so if we add more and more and more heat constitutionally to that Mars, theoretically, um, it doesn't need help being inflamed. Right. So yes, exactly. It might backfire. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, it's like, I've already got that covered. You need, yeah, thank you. You need the, uh, this is like when we come into the idea of sympathy and, and, and tip the beat and yes. sympathy. <laughs> yes. you need more or you need less, uh, yeah. basically, mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. the other side of things. Um, but what about, what about those air moons or what, what do they got going on? We, we identified their kind of outward having to stop, get back in the body, like the fire, but what, what would they need more of? Yeah. I think when I talk to air moon people, um, a lot of them tell me that they feel disconnected from their bodies and that they're living here and, um, that they're perceiving that as very uncomfortable. And so with air moon people, a lot of times what we'll do is work on the nervous system coming into a place of rest, a parasympathetic sympathetic place so that it can actually um, assimilate food with ease instead of mm-hmm. associating eating experiences with anxiety or stress. Um, and so a lot of times with air moon people, it's really most people for me, it's really not about eat this. Don't eat that. It's the quality of the time and the environment that that air moon is in is really going to dictate how uh, that food sits with them. Okay. So I have a partner (laughs) with, I have a partner with an air moon with a Libra moon and I can't tell you how like Yes, that's he always thinks it's like the particular types of foods, um, but it seems to be everything sometimes. So I'm just wondering if maybe it is more about, yeah, like where that nervous system's at, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and how stre- stressed or where the mind might be somewhere else and, and thinking about yeah. all these things. And then it just kind of translates to the body not di- di- digesting it right because there's just yeah. more of a nervous constitution going on underneath. Because I mean, I've, I've been trying to figure out what his, <laughs> what his system wants for so, so long. And yeah. I there are some aggressors, but I wonder like thinking about that more because our stomach mm-hmm. is so sensitive to mm-hmm. how, how we're feeling. Like when I notice when there's like a lot of fear that comes up and involved and people are anxious or fearful over something, a lot of times, you know, you get a stomach ache or your, your stomach mm-hmm. will start to bother you because of that mm-hmm. kind of nervous condition. Yeah. Um, With Libra people, especially, I find the oppositions to be really important uh, anatomically. And so when you have Libra, uh, Libra and Aries are really important in terms of um, the adrenal response in the body. Mm. That's what they kind of govern. And so Libra moon people, I'm married to a Libra moon. <laughs> oh, so you know, we're both on the, my Libra moon takes adrenal support. So uh, this is yes. sense. <laughs> Yeah. And if we think about like how Libra Chi would want to move, ideally it would have a nice regulated wave where it goes up and it goes down and like a, a window of um, resilience, if you will. But a lot of times Libra people perceive that as this instead. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just see the up, back, quick up and down, like more, yeah. more erratic spikes than our soft sine wave of like Absolutely. rolling hills. 100%. And so a lot of times with Libra uh, dominant individuals, especially, but a lot of air moons, um, it really is working on being able to come out of a hyper hyper arousal state into a state of safety and being able to pendulate between those states without pushing themselves into panic or going low, low, low into deep depression because it can, it can manifest both ways. Yeah. Mm, no, that's interesting. Um, well, this leaves us to our, to our water moon and our water babies. What, uh, what, <laughs> what do they need over there? Yeah. So, oh, water babies. Um, I feel a little bit like a broken record, but it is very <laughs> true. Um, water moon babes need safety. Mm. They need safety. And, um, that can look a lot of ways, but, um, a lot of times it's environmental safety, um, is going to help them assimilate and digest their food, but it's also the quality of the emotional safety that's going on. And maybe food stories that they've picked up from their family lineage or uh, their environment, et cetera. There's just a, a bit more sensitivity, um, in, in the water moon, uh, food world. And sometimes, sometimes, that translates to actual sensitivities and intolerances with food. But when that shows up in a water moon, I'm always going to address the uh, emotions beneath that sensitivity first. Yeah. Yeah. Makes absolute sense uh, for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it, it also makes me wonder as we talked through the elements for the moon, because I definitely think the moon is very important to the body and the eating and the constitution. And, you know, like that's a, a typically a place we're going to look for vitality too. It's like the sun gives us our vitality, but we're going to have different levels of vitality depending on the lunar phase that we were born under Yeah. Um, as well. You know, it's one thing to be a full moon baby and you got this whole moon that's completely lit up versus these new moons or balsamics yeah. that might not have as much vitality behind Absolutely. them. And, and that's going to add to the, the, the very, variation of how, how much there actually is to give. Cause I know one of the things that you brought up, it's not just nutrition and uh, what we intake, but it's also our, our sleep quality and our ability to rest and knowing when we need to rest, um, versus when we're good to, to keep going. And so mm -hmm. do you think that like, <sighs> I feel like, do you think that rest would be a food group? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. Um, gosh, so many thoughts swirling in my head. I think what I love most about astrology is that it has the power to normalize the fact that we do not need to hustle in this life. There are some of us that are primed to run that type of energy but most of us are not. Um, and the moon is a great teacher for that because it very quickly shifts its shape and dwindles and then gets full and dwindles again. And I love talking about energy management when I'm with a client and looking at their chart, because it kind of, it's like, Oh, <laughs> a sense of relief. Oh, so it's cool that I need naps or it's cool that I need more sleep than my partner, or it's cool that I can only work three days a week. And then I need to like de-stress. I'm like, yeah, it's totally cool. 
And then there's other people that are flip and that's fine. Um, but I think it's, it's wonderful for me to sit with someone and just go, yes, you are fine. Just the way you are. Most of the time it's accepting that that's how our energy runs is where the difficulty comes in. When we're fighting against our natural state is when we have all that suffering. So astrology Mm. is wonderful for alleviating a lot of that suffering and bringing compassion. No. Yeah. That makes so much sense because what it does, I mean, you know, most of the time leaving a consultation, what we're going to hear is, oh, you, you helped through, you know, uh, through the planets to validate me Mm. or validate what I already know. Uh, Because, you know, we are working once again, to go back to kind of the, the, the wellness that we started off talking about and the whole system that, that runs that. Uh And we have so much conditioning, uh, with, you know, conditioning from what magazines tell us, what, you know, suppose like diet experts, what, um, the, uh, like the, the food, the food organizations, the, uh, capitalism, <laughs> keep going, <laughs> keep going. You're not good. You're not good unless you, you know, you're working like all this and it just does not, it's, it's not the, it's not the same for everyone. And it's probably a root core to so much illness because the reality is, is that there's a lot of sickness on, on this planet, you know, um, for varying reasons. Uh, but I think, I think food and rest seem like the key places to start with it. it can't, food, rest and, and emotional mental health, which are tied in like they're separate, but they're essentially the same because they need to work within one another for both to be at a healthy stasis, Mm -hmm. at least in Mm -hmm. my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so it makes me think, uh, one of the things that you talk about in your book is using the power of the planets to rebalance and restore. So Mm knowing this stuff it is valuable when we find ourselves out of balance within our daily routines. Cause you know, when something's off or, yeah. or you feel like you're just struggling and, and just going uphill and no matter what you do, like something's got to, something's got to change. Um, yeah. so what would be, what were we looking for in the daily routine or some signs that we need to shift or, you know, just something mm-hmm. along those lines? I, uh, I'm a fan of, um, like when you know, you know, like, I I think everybody has a different way that they are aware that something's off. And I'm a big fan of putting the authority back in the, in the client's hands. And, um, so that being said, the way I have it laid out in body astrology is, um, I make it quite simple in case someone is very new or I make it more complex, but each planet has a personality. It has an element. It has a, a range of functions that it governs. And we can kind of determine like, oh, I feel off. What's underneath that? Uh, what's the sensation associated with it? What are the symptoms associated with it? And so theoretically, you could look those things up in the book and, and discover, oh, seems like a Venusian imbalance. So what would Venus need to feel supported? Do I need to add more Venus or do I need to work with an opposite planetary energy to maybe uh, reduce Venus a little bit? See what I'm saying? 
Yeah. Like <laughs> Not that we'd really want to read penis, but <laughs> well, sometimes we need to. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And so that's how I um, approached it in the book. It's very uh, sympathy, antipathy, um, sort of layman's terms. And I broke it down into charts. So people that aren't really familiar with transits, because that's where um, I kind of come in astrologically in discerning, oh, something's off. What transits am I having? Um, I kind of lay it out for uh, newbies and pros at the same time. But uh, yeah, if you can determine what off feels like and what planet is associated with those sensations, you can kind of determine what the remedy might be by also uh, figuring out or reading in the book what foods or what self-care practices are also associated with that planet and adding more of those in or maybe adding in the opposite if you need to kind of take it down a a notch. Take it down a notch. So if if we were talking about a Venusian imbalance, what are a couple examples of what Venus, if she's gone a little off kilter, would, sure. would we be feeling? Yeah. I mean, the most common, um, Venusian imbalance I encounter is menstrual irregularities or hormonal imbalances. Cause that tends to be a really big Venusian domain. Uh, Venus rules a lot of other things, including the entire like homeostatic process in the body, which is really big and does a lot behind the scenes of like making sure all of our chemicals and electrolytes are balanced. But most of the time for clients, Venusian imbalances might show up in the menses or in the emotional um, connection with other people. That can certainly Mm. be an imbalance as well. And that eventually, in my thinking, uh, compounded over time would manifest physically. So very important to look at them, them both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So now I know something's got to be up with old Mars and Saturn because oh, yeah. you know, they don't, they don't call them the malefics for nothing. For nothing. Uh, so, for, so, you know, I, I think about, um, I think about obviously transits because, and I, I feel like I have a pretty astute listenership. So, yeah. uh, we could talk a little bit about transits, um, where, especially transits to the moon, uh, when we think about, you know, the, the Mars conjuncting the moon, or if you have a much longer, you know, Saturn conjuncting the moon, which could be a three-part series that seems to drag on forever. Um, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that could, that could arise with, with, you know, I guess, well, let's start with Mars. We know, we know he's the, uh, the, the king of inflation, inflation, yeah. inflammation, maybe inflation. that. I mean, whatever. I feel like that's more <laughs> that's but, uh, Yeah. That's inflammation. Yeah, uh, totally. And, and, yeah. So yeah, what's, so what's Mars stirring up? <laughs> Mars is just going to bring heat. And the way we would look at it in a natal chart is we would look at the sign to determine where Mars will bring that heat. So, um, if Mars is in Capricorn, It might bring heat or inflammation or activity because it's not all going to be negative, right? To the Capricorn body areas, which a short list would be the skin and the bones and the joints. Um, There's a lot of other ones, but we'll just leave it at that. So Mars transit, especially to the moon in Capricorn, might correlate with a rash, might correlate with dry skin, might correlate with breaking a bone, you know, that it's going to depend on the other no. configuration, right? you know, it really depends. Um, I notice a lot when I'm having a Mars transit really to anything, I'm just a little more accident prone. So mm. it's, it's 
just the opposite of Saturn, um, which I won't get ahead of myself, but that's basically Mars. It's going to heat things up. And sometimes heat is really great. And sometimes it's not. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it made me think a little bit like in the sense, I mean, Mars on our moon, obviously that's a, it can be a combustible situation because we're getting revved up about something, but it feels like Mars, maybe on a Capricorn moon, especially when Mars is exalted there. It's like maybe Mars actually gives you like the juice to get moving and where you may maybe been yeah. like stuck or in stasis versus maybe, uh, Mars, um, like in Leo on sure. a Leo moon. And all of a sudden it's just so much fire and, you yeah. know, the, the volcano is erupting. <laughs> yeah. The um, condition of the planet, obviously the dignity yeah. and all of that, it is sect and hemisphere and blah, blah, blah very important in delineation for medical charts for sure. Because yeah, that was a really great example because Mars and Capricorn is less likely to express, um, as an accident. Whereas Mars and Leo, God bless me, just going to have a panic attack over here in the corner, you know, like that's just (laughs) too much Mars. Too much much fire, Um, and that's that's a that was a point I was about to bring up is when especially when we're talking about the malefics here um, and sect because you know if you're a day chart you know Mars is probably going to give you a little more problems uh, versus Saturn in the night chart who is uh, the one that can can definitely bring bring it on bring it on the heartache that's what I just (laughs) I didn't that that song came to me if you remember some 80 or nineties. I can't remember, but anyways. Um, so that is something to think about. Uh, you know, are you a day chart? Are you a night chart? Are you more prone to aggravation from Mars, more prone to it from Saturn? Uh, the real, the, the, um, at the end of the day, they're both malefic. So it's not like they're (laughs) going to give like an ease of, of certain things, but (laughs) Um, how about Saturn on the moon, uh, there what's, you know, Mars brings that inflammation and that heat and stirring up the pot. What's, what's old Saturn doing there. So I just had my, um, little on the moon. (laughs) Do tell tell all about it. Okay. Again, the, uh, body areas associated with the sign are going to be primary in determining where it is most likely going to show up physically if it shows up physically. Um, so I'll just use Aquarius as an example. Um, Aquarius very similar to Capricorn because they're both ruled by Saturn does have some structural components to it. It doesn't rule the bones, but I find it to be quite a structural sign that also rules the energy body. It rules a lot of the nervous system, um, a lot of blood flow, particularly Mm -hmm. returning back up to the heart because Leo Mm -hmm. pushes it out. Yeah. So when I had my Saturn on the moon, um, number one, very sad, <laughs> very sad. Just um, sad. It's just yeah. the depression. It makes me think about depression yeah. and how that it was. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, okay. I'm an open book. Like I have suffered with major depression my whole life, but, and that's because of an imprint in my natal chart. But when Saturn came around and activated it, it definitely became severe to the mm. point where I actually stopped working for about seven months. Um, so Mental health, definitely a big part of a Saturn transit for sure. Um, Mars mental health tends to be more uh, red. So uh, states that are more associated with panic or anxiety, whereas Saturn mental health tends to be more blue (laughs) and associates with 
more so depression or very severe, uh, states of isolation, et cetera. Mm. Um, so that happens and that's common no matter what sign, but Aquarius does tend to have a, a bit of a mental health imprint and then pain, body pain, just joint pain, also circulatory joints. issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Saturn just goes, stop, stop flowing moon. And it just shuts all the yeah. fluids down. Yeah. And so for Aquarian people, um, cold hands and feet, nerve impingements for sure, mm-hmm. uh, pins and needles, all of that stuff. So Saturn just kind of squeezes the anatomy of wherever it's placed. Um, and doubly so if, if the natal moon is placed there as well. Ah, uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Now would, would Saturn be aligned with things like arthritis or yes? Or, yes. Cause it just yes. kind of like stiffens, stiffens. Yeah. and creates the, yeah. So mm, that, that's and interesting. It creates of. blockages. Um, it just cools things down. So anything's that slower, cooler, um, you know, it's just a symbol. There's all sorts of conditions that would fall under that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Um, and it reminds me of like looking, if you're looking at progressions, um, cause that's another mm-hmm. thing when the progressed moon makes it to, uh, especially a conjunction with wherever your Saturn is or a hard aspect, but definitely the conjunction, a lot of times that can be a dip in some sort of, um, you know, health situation, uh, mm-hmm. that, that comes up. Um, I had a, I had a friend that, uh, was going through a breast scare not too long ago. They found a lump, which was uh, like luckily benign, but I go, sure enough, I go to look at her chart and the progressed moon was exactly on her natal wow. Saturn there at that time. And so mm-hmm. uh, like, cause you think about Saturn, not like hardening things too. I mean, I think yeah. about like masses and tumors being Jupiter, uh, right. But like the kind of the hardened aspect, uh, mm-hmm. maybe more Saturn. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Saturn's more sclerotic. I mean, it's more of a hardening or a tightening or a blockage. So, mm. um, sometimes a growth can create a blockage. And so in that way, it might be Saturnian, but typically we would look at growths or tumors as more of Jupiter and even Venus because they both accumulate, but it would again, probably have a malefic involved in the configuration by hard aspect, um, or it would, you know, be in fall or detriment and retrograde. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mars and Saturn just always, they always got something for us. There's a, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I'd say it's like super important to just know the anatomy associated with your natal Mars and Saturn placements, because they are just, they just need more TLC. And if they haven't shown any, uh, issue yet, yay, fabulous over time with transits and progressions and just aging, um, those, happens, <laughs> just aging, just, just yeah. saying, <laughs> yeah, those are the, the parts of the body that, um, just need attention, uh, for the Saturn areas, they often need structural support or maybe help opening and the, the Mars areas tend to need calming down. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, yes. I, I, well, this brings this question, um, speaking, as you know, cause we think about the first house being that place of mm-hmm. uh, the body and the, the physical vessel itself. When we're talking about house placements, but what about the sixth house? Because, you mm-hmm. know, the sixth house is our place of uh, you know, mm-hmm. disease or the things that are going to afflict us or keeping our body, um, having routines, uh, that keep our body in a, a you know, a, 
some sort of homeostasis that, you know, keeps illness at bay. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, as someone who has, uh, Mars, uh, as the ruler of the sixth house and, and it's true. If I, you know what, a lot of times if I am afflicted with something, it is going to be, um, it, it could be a skin, uh, situation, a skin eruption. Um, it can be, well, just me getting like all heated up about something <laughs> and, and just getting, you know, like just, you know, anger or something along those lines. Um, uh, yeah, it just feels like there it, it's, it usually manifests that way. But anyways, my question is looking at the sixth house and in the ruler of the sixth house and what mm-hmm. that could tell us about I mean, what do you, what do you look at as at the sixth house just in general in relation yeah. to the body and health? Start there. This is a great, yeah, this is a great question. So oh, I probably have an unpopular answer, but from my, from my practice thus far with real people, yes, I find the sixth house to be important. Yes. I find it to correlate with conditions at times, but I do not at this point, I have not found it to be correlating with things that are very, very, very serious. I find it to correlate more with day-to-day things that might irritate you, which can become serious over time. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I put more importance from, um, and, or urgency maybe on the first house, the eighth house and the 12th, um, than I would on the sixth. However, if there's something happening there, I'm, I'm definitely going to look at the six, but I, I find it more talking about what might feel good or not feel good on a daily nourishment, uh, from a daily nourishment standpoint. And then the ruler, um, it can tell us if I determine that the condition is rooted in the sixth house, the ruler is going to show me maybe even more information about the cause of the problem. Yeah. No, that, that yeah. makes total sense. It's, it's, and it's interesting. Some charts are, there's two combinations where it's set up that way. Either if you are, um, a Scorpio rising like me or a Taurus rising, you're going to have the ruler of the first house and the sixth house is the same planet. Yeah. Um, yeah. which is always interesting. Cause I know when Mars, I know when Mars is coming around, doing its thing on one mm-hmm. of my planets or, uh, you know, just doing something in the sky. It's like clockwork where I will have something pop up that in the body that, uh, you know, I'll just have to like a little ailment. I'll have to nothing severe. Mm. Thank God to this point, you know, but, um, it, it is down to clockwork where I can just watch transits and, and mm-hmm. it will happen. And I'm like, Oh, I just got to get past this point or you know, <laughs> the inflammation will stop here or I'll be less, you know, whatever. Yeah. It, it's yeah. so reliable. And I remember Wade cave saying once who talking about, uh, he's fellow Scorpio rising, um, talking about having those positions. Like sometimes you can actually make yourself sick because you are, yeah. you are the ruler of that sixth house space. That's a great so way to like, look at it. It's like, sometimes if you know, you have problems, it's like, what are, what are you doing? Check yourself out. Yeah. I mean, I would say in a chart where the ruler of the six is in the 12th, that's, you know, also often the case, you know, or if I determine, Oh, the root of the root of this condition um, is in the 12th. That's often an interesting discussion with a client. Cause we have to go. So how are we contributing to this <laughs> in a very 
yeah, delicate way. It can be an interesting yeah. discussion. Yeah. yeah. That 12th house, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff buried there. A lot of oh, unconscious yeah. motivation, you know, it, it could be, mm-hmm. and it's interesting when we have ailments that are really on the surface and you kind of know where they're coming from versus ailments. And this happens all the time with people where they have mysterious ailments and, you know, you see them going to doctors, you see them, you know, yeah. trying to all these things and they can't really diagnose what that is. Um, and I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, do you think that would be more of like a 12th house scenario yeah. uh, possibly like that's like the mystery, the mystery illness or the yeah, 100% I, the eighth and the 12th, there's a lot of similarities between eighth illness and 12th illness. Um, but both of them tend to be difficult to diagnose, especially 12th house, you know, 12th house conditions may never get a label and that is very important to some people. Some people don't care about that. Um, but you know, when I was sick, I actually wanted a label because I wanted to belong to a body of people that had the same experience as me. Mm. And I never got, I never got my label. I got a lot of, um, diagnoses that didn't fit. I got a lot of medications that made me sicker. That can be a 12th house experience as Mm. well. Um, and it wasn't until I saw my chart from a medical perspective where I was like, Oh, (laughs) but it also helped me understand the root. And I realized looking at it now as a medical astrology professional, that the root was uh, trauma and that can be a 12th house thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, what gets kind of like buried there in in the psyche. Um, yeah, Mm -hmm. the unconscious is a very, very powerful place. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of our, uh, you know, the root, the core of the things that we deal with, especially when they're mysterious and we can't put a finger on them. It's like, that is the excavation that needs to happen. Um, and it's not an easy one. It's like, no. it's, it's, that's where I feel like if anybody's into like hypnosis or like yeah. regressions of certain types kinds, like that might be where you can, can extract, um, mm-hmm. like you're going to have to go to the, the buried place that the conscious doesn't have, just quick access to in order to get maybe those answers or move some of that along in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the one thing we didn't talk about, which uh, uh, makes a lot of sense, and I'm sure you're looking at it because I know you're looking at rulership is how about the the ruler of the ascendant? Like we have the ascendant, um, the sign itself, but uh, that ruler could be just anywhere else in the Zodiac um, (laughs) adding adding, uh, extra information to yeah. what we're assimilating. So I, I guess I'll just use myself as an example for lack of better option at the moment, but like <laughs> I, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a rising. So to me, uh, the ruler of the ascendant is a primary health player yeah. and transits to the ruler of the ascendant are 99.9% uh, of the time going to show up in the body or at least in the mental health. And to me, they are the same. So I think knowing where the ascendant ruler is located from a house standpoint gives you insight into areas of life that can become inflammatory. And I mean that not, maybe I should use a better word that can become problematic maybe Mm. for you. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's a third house Jupiter. And I, in modern day, equate the third house with all types of digital communication, like email, Mm. social media, text. And I have developed a really difficult uh, relationship with those things. And it reflects immediately in my health. And so I know um, as having, 
you know, the ruler of my ascendant in the third, that third house stuff, I, I really need to take care of that. I need to dial that self-care in because it's going to reflect in my first house. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes it. it I think with Jupiter too, how it just be, especially if it's like a large influx of that, yeah. where, you know, that you have like a lot coming at you or like big expectations of how you're supposed to show up there, you know, like, like, like an right. overwhelm basically yeah. from the Jupiter component. Yeah. And, and then you think about like the third house being kind of that mental communicative space, it being an air sign, which is also, so that seems to be like just the mental, com- like an extra mm-hmm. mental component. Like we talk about the mental component, but add air on top of it and maybe the third house. And then we're, we're really getting to the, <laughs> to yeah. the mental part of, of all this. Yes. Yeah. 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 So for me, it's like the quality of my uh, thoughts it's just going to show up in my, it's going to show up in my body. And yeah. so taking care of my mind, um, in whatever way, what, however that looks is a number one health priority for me. So I feel that I have, I have a similar thing, you know, being a Scorpio yeah. rising ruled by Mars and Gemini in the eighth house, Ooh, you know? Eight. So yes. I like, I, my mind is, is definitely the thing that can get in the way or can inflame. Like I can get, like, I can just get really tense and and Mm -hmm. irritated, like mentally. If you have a Mars and an air sign, a lot of times like the aggression plays out in the mind or like what's going on in the, the, uh, you know, the inner dialogue or the communicative self. And so, and it's also a place where I can work up what's happening with, within me and the eighth house, like traditionally is a place of being idle. And so I find that when I have ailments, what happens is I obsess over them mentally, but do nothing about them. And, you know, they have the intensity of the Scorpio uh, energy behind it, but I'm doing nothing about it. And I'm just building it up in my mind. And then when I finally get to the point where I'm like, okay, I have to do something about this. Um, it's usually, and this isn't just ailments, this could be like other things in life. And usually it's a really easy process or it's not as bad as I thought it was, or it just like, Mm. it's like, I built it up way more than it needed to be. And maybe added a little bit of hypochondriac energy Mm -hmm. to it, but I also have Mars exactly square Saturn and Virgo. So, you know, Hey, I got a exact Saturn square too. Oh, you do? Yes. We're we're noticing Claire and I have some, some similar, similar placements. Mm. Um, but yeah. And so it, it, it's that mental health and the the quality of my mind and how I'm using it, um, (laughs) you know, to a disadvantage, uh, to work through whatever is popping up that's out of balance um, and learning to deal with it rather than stuff it in the eighth house and not like mm-hmm. do anything mm-hmm. uh, about I, it. Yeah. I love you bringing up the idle aspect of the eighth house because uh, my ruler of the six is in the eighth and I have a very similar experience. Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, even though like, this is what I do it's because I need it. Right. Like I, I, um, will just let things build up until it's like critical mass. And then (laughs) yeah. And so eighth house can be difficult. And so for listeners, like, again, knowing the anatomy of the eighth house is important because those are the parts of the body that we might more naturally turn a blind eye to or neglect. Yeah. Well, it, it makes a lot of sense because 
it is a point of aversion from the, from the first house. So if the first house is our body, you know, the places where we aren't looking so much is going to be that eighth house, that sixth house, the 12th house, the second house. Um, uh, but especially the eighth house, it feels is like, like the true point of total aversion. aversion. Um, yeah. And so I can see where that would be a, a difficulty there. And I know you talked about the 12th house and we're talking about mysterious illnesses, but is there anything else you you could say about the eighth house when it comes to that being triggered or you noticing that in your work of being relating to health? Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Let's keep going with the idol um, piece because somehow that kind of translates into things that you carry for a long time and maybe don't deal with. And so, you know, through the years, that's kind of translated into chronic conditions. And so Mm. the eighth house often, um, points to conditions that are long-term, uh, Saturn also does that, but that's really how the eighth house works. And then the eighth house also tends to show more mental strain and mental illness than maybe the sixth and the first, the 12th house definitely does too, but I, um, see a house also in, and then we're going deep real fast, but like in cases of trauma or cases of abuse and how that has translated into long-term health impacts as mm-hmm. well. Um, or other people's other people taking advantage of you and how that translates into health as well. So it's a very complex area of health. It can get dark. It can get deep, (laughs) Um, but it's really important to look there. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're speaking, it made me think about like taking on other people's stuff too, you know, being affected by, you know, because it is a a house of the other essentially. Um, and, and the others, other resource, uh, others, resources or others, um, values Mm -hmm. too. Um, and when you take that on intern, you know, internally and you're, I'm just thinking about my own life, like I'm having like a little aha moment and there's some things that get stuck there because you're aligned with someone else's stuff that then becomes your own because it's affected you in some way. Um, Yeah, that, that's it's that's very interesting. I can definitely attribute to the long chronic condition too, because fun fact, I had a uh a pilonidal cystectomy uh about uh a few <sighs> years ago. I had a cyst on my tailbone for like 20 years. And it went dormant for a very long time. It didn't bother me, but at some point, and and it's pretty common. If someone gets this, they used to call it Jeep's disease in the, the, uh, like World War II, because they're not sure what causes it, but it's a pilonidal means nest of hair. (laughs) So you get on your tailbone and they thought it was from like all the moving around Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. what have you. Um, and actually it's pretty common for people who have it. And then it goes dormant for the people not to do anything about it because the surgery itself is kind of excruciating and a very long healing time. Like you literally have like a chunk of you removed and you have to grow from the inside out, yeah. you know, TMI, but that's, that's what happened. So it kind of finally got to, yeah. the, finally got to, she's like her Virgo was like, no, no, don't <laughs> but, um, it finally got to the point where I had to do something about it. And, uh, and it was such a relief once, it, once I did, but it was a chronic condition and like it yeah. stayed there. It was dormant. It had to come to a point where it was just, I, I was in a first house perfection year, Mars, mm. ruled, right? So Mars is getting activated and it was oh, like, no, yeah. you need to do this. 
took me a couple months to heal, but I mean, my, my quality of life after that point is like, you know, so much better. Um, but yeah. my, even my surgeon was like, he's like, I had the best surgeon too. Like I got hooked up. Like I, the, the right person saw me and he's like, I get it. He's like, I have tons of patients. You put this off forever because it's just like the whole process. Like you'd rather live with it than to deal yeah. with the, the yeah. healing from it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that because that reminded me that eighth house, especially when you have Mars there often correlates with things that require surgery. They often require an intervention of some type, a therapeutic of some type. And Mars is the surgeon's knife. Um, so it, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. And it's such a funny thing because it was just like a, a very unusual ailment because usually it, mm-hmm. it happens to men. Usually it mm-hmm. happens to people uh, maybe with uh, bigger derrieres, what we call mm. like a bubble butt or something like that. So even like the, when I was diagnosed, the doctor was like, you're a very atypical case. <laughs> you know, I'm like this thin, thin woman with like, I don't want to say I have no ass, but I guess, <laughs> you know, I'm not walking around with a, you know, a lot of junk in the trunk, but, uh, and I find that it's interesting too, you know, speaking as someone who also has Uranus on the ascendant, like, I feel like the ailments I get are unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you resonate without that, <laughs> about that at all, but I, I feel yeah. like, yeah, like they're yeah. just weird, like weird. It's like, or you're just, or you're an atypical person that would have whatever it is that is getting it or, I yeah, <laughs> yeah all of that applies. I mean, this is a great conversation because any, whatever planet, if you have one, uh, conjunct your ascendant is like really hard to pick apart from your physical experience. It's just yeah. kind of manifesting through you. Yeah. And me too. I got that fun little electric thing on my ascendant too. And for me, it's like, I, when I'm not taking care of myself, I am a live wire. I'm just jumpy. Jumpy, Yeah. I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. Different sign for me, but Mm -hmm. I can imagine it with the Sagittarius, just like, uh, yeah, there's a lot. A lot, a live wire. Yeah. So we just say that live yes. wire. Yes. Um, yeah. That's funny. That's yeah. But that is something to note. You know, if you do have a planet configured to the ascendant, it, it you are essentially that planet. Um, yeah. It, you know, and so yeah. we're, you're going to obviously want to be looking at that planet uh, as well. And so you can see all the all the different facets of, uh, how you can get to, um, you know, what your, your, what your constitution is, what your kind of archetypal, uh, planetary mm-hmm. energy that is aligned with your, your body and your, your mm-hmm. well-being um, there. And so now our kind of last little segment to talk about here is uh, like becoming, becoming your own body astrologer. Like we talked about certain, like, you know, different ailments, different things to look at the planets, the sun, moon rising. Um, but how, what's the, what's the recommended first place to start with that? How do we use, uh, you know, you talk about using celestial information in relation to choosing the, maybe the foods you eat or you don't eat, uh, movement. We didn't have even talked about like movement yeah. in general. Um, and yeah, so wh- where would we start there? I think the best place to start is the moon, the natal moon and, um, just really diving into the energetics of that particular sign. And when I say that, I mean, like, what's the temperature 
Um, how does the chi in of that sign flow? If you were to draw the energy of that sign, what would it look like? And know the anatomical bits and pieces that belong to that sign. Um, and start there. So for example, if you're an air moon, maybe consider ways of nourishing yourself that also feel like air. We all know what air is. We can observe it in nature. And so everyone can do this. All you got to do is look out the window and you can learn about astrology, just observe the elements and you, there's no wrong answer. Like you got it. Um, so for air movement, Oh, what, what would that look like? Would that be something cardiovascular? Would that be catching air in some way? Would that be a uh, social movement? You know, there's mm. a lot of ways that, yeah, that could, could look. And then from a food perspective, um, that gets a little trickier because I'm really hesitant to say like, don't eat air foods or eat air foods, but more like how can air feel stable? right? How can I make sure that I'm not flying out, but like cruising, right? And um, using, yeah, using it in that way instead of particular foods. However, in the book, I do list out air quality foods and foods that are associated with each planet. If you want to get really nerdy about it, you can do that. But it's honestly the last thing I would ever look at in a client consultation. Yeah. 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 No, mm -hmm. that makes sense. I, now I'm fascinated with the whole movement aspect. Uh, when yeah. you think about air movement, um, yeah, that's interesting. You said like catch air. It makes me think about people <laughs> that, uh, you know, like people that, uh, like to like skateboard or something mm -hmm. and, you know, do big jumps and they're like literally flying through, through the air or doing, um, or thinking about like gymnastics and like people mm -hmm. that are doing like, you know, pole vaulting or, you yep. know, the rings and they're like literally just flying through or like the air. dunking, I'm, I'm, like basketball, yeah. you know, it's just super like Aquarian sport to me in my mind. Yeah. Interesting. That is that's very interesting. Um, the first, I first, I was like skydiving and I'm like, who is skydiving? <laughs> like you like, like, have all these air moons out there skydiving. Um, they're like body astrology told me to do it. No, I'm just <laughs> That's my worst. <laughs> no, no. Um, but uh, how about movement? How about movement with, let's talk about movement with earth uh, and, and water. Because sure. these, I feel like, especially earth, there could be more of a sluggish. And I think about the moon, but I also think about just Mars in general, right? Yeah. Because Mars is going to get us, we talked about, yeah. we talked about all the, the, the uh, challenging aspects of Mars. But when we're talking about movement, Mm -hmm. essentially that is, that's uh, Mars territory paired yeah. with the moon, of course. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely look at the sign that your natal Mars is located in. And then in, <laughs> if you have a copy of body astrology, I list out all kinds of random sports and movements that are associated symbolically with, with each sign. And oh, so you I can kind of get some fun ideas there. But when we think about, um, whether it's an earth Mars or an earth moon, um, for movement, <laughs> I want to facilitate something that is sustainable. So we're typically taught in fitness culture to go hundred percent. And for most people, but especially earth people, I like to take things down into very digestible chunks. So if someone comes to me and says, I want to do X number of workouts per week at X intensity, I'm like, 
how about we divide that by two and start there? So a lot of it, again, like digestion, it's like, how does my earth body relate to movement? It's not really about what type of movement. It's more about how to give yourself movement, how to think about it, how to approach it in a way that feels natural to you. Um, but in terms of types, you know, earth people are usually going to be more prone to move when they're in a pretty place, if they're outside, um, and all of that stuff. And also, um, more, this is a generalization, but for Torian people, let's say, uh, slower things that are also bringing the senses alive, like hiking. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Walking. Wonderful. Capricorn's more of a climber. So they could literally be a rock climber or they might like running on an incline, you know, it's just symbols or stair walking. That would be a Capricorn thing too. Power and then walking. Can, yeah. Power, power walking. walking. For sure. <laughs> and then Virgo, it's just a little bit different because it's ruled by Mercury. And so to me, Virgo is the quintessential gymnast or like maybe a someone that loves calisthenics, you know, just loves doing body weight movement. Um, they're just a little bit more agile in the way they process. They might actually enjoy running, whereas Taurus might hate it. You know, there's, or Taurus might like really long distances where it's, it's more good, about, yeah. yeah, it's not fast. Right. Um, so that's yeah. kind of how we start looking at it. Uh, well, it, it, I mean, I think about when I think about Virgo, I think about the like ultimate, like, yo, like bendy yogi that is uh-huh. like, you know, like just doing all, all the stretches, all the poses, just yeah. that, like that kind of perfection of like the body yeah. in the right place and the mind that's stimulated with it. And, um, and, and it's funny we're talking about the Taurus because the Taurus makes perfect sense uh, with, like, I think about uh, Cassandra Tyndall, my friend and uh, colleague who's been on the program a few times. She has a Mars and Taurus and she is known for her power lifting. Like she goes to the yeah. gym and she like just the yeah. intensity of like heavy, she loves it. Heavy lifting while listening to music or listening to heavy metal. Yeah. That's like her jam. And, Thanks for uh, bringing that up because that is a quintessential and it's a huge part of body astrology as I talk about powerlifting as a Torian sport. Also Scorpio sometimes um, loves a good heavy lift and yeah, I love <laughs> that. makes that. sense. Yeah, yeah well, and it, you talked about the polarities before. Uh, yeah, the you know, polarities being, are important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Taurus, you know, earth movement, let's just broaden it. Um, simple is good. You know, in powerlifting, you're usually not doing multi-combo movements, usually doing a deadlift, a press or a squat or a slight variation thereof. And that's great for Taurus. It's just like uh, to the point, simple, effective, heavy AF. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your body comes alive when you're deadlifting 400 pounds. That's yeah. Yeah, Totally. Taurus lives for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so would it be as simple to say like for our, for our water folks that, and knowing like one of my, one of my long-term good friends who has a Mars and cancer, she's out there surfing, mm-hmm. you know, like being in the water, swimming, surfing, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Is there any water, uh, else <laughs> maybe sweating? It's heavy be sweating. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Scorpio's into that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does rule the sweat gland. So if you have like a Mars and Scorpio, those people are like, Oh, I love hit or I love CrossFit or I love just like sitting in a sauna, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Water sports for sure. 
Definitely. But I also know a lot of water people that don't want to do water sports, but flexibility tends to be a, a theme with water movement, um, as well as expressive movement. So something that's going to allow you to be in a moody environment or get your feels out, you know, whether that looks like dancing. Dance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Um, what else? Something just slipped my mind, but yeah, you don't have to, oh, martial arts. Yes. Oh, a lot okay. of Mar- Mars and water people, um, love Qigong, Tai Chi, karate. Yeah. Um, Mars and cancer, a pretty, you know, big fan of the combat sports that I've seen that several times in consultations. So MMA, you know, kickboxing, that sort of thing. And it makes a whole lot of sense because in those sports, you, I mean, you develop, like, I feel like some of the people that I know that are like, have been like incredibly athletic, have these Mars and cancer because you build Mm -hmm. up your shell, you're building up your like physical vessel and the idea of like security and being on the the defense, you know, because the crabs, coming at, you don't see when the crabs coming at you come from the side, you know, like that's, if that's not boxing, MMA, you know, kickboxing, it's like, it's those quick moves, you know, you hit the left and the right, the bob and the weave, the bob and the weave. That's that's (laughs) so funny. That makes, that's makes so much sense. And so, I mean, I, of course, when I think of fire, I'm like, I'm thinking about those like fast sprint runners. That's like, as I'm doing my power walking in the park, basically that it's person that's just like blazing past me. Like it's like, it's no business. Um, you know, my lung, my lungs would be like dying if I was doing that or like my knees would be, you know, killing me, but they're just like cruising. Um, are they, are they more apt to be those kind of like fast paced? Yeah, totally. They are more apt. They are more apt to, um, like quick things that are also very brutal sometimes. (laughs) Um, so speed is one way to work with that for sure. High intensity is another way to work with that for sure. Um, but with fire people, I often see that they get, uh, injury prone pretty easily, or they burn out pretty easily. And so they do have to learn a lot of times from their other elements on how to balance a really, um, healthy perspective of intensity and exercise yeah, mm. and rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't forget the rest. We, yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's really important. It's really important. It's really important. Well, all, all this has been so fascinating, Claire. Um, is there anything else you wanted to share in summary about before we wrap things up and tell people where they can find you in your book? I think I am all mercuried out. Like that was awesome. <laughs> I can't think of anything else to say. We covered so much. That we was did. so fun. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that welcome to the podcast. That's usually I what happens. It. You, you turn around and you're like, where have we been? We've, we've been full <laughs> circle. We've been up and down sideways. I'm like, yeah. Um, welcome to Mars and Gemini. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, Claire, where can people find you? Where can they find your book? What do you have going on? Tell us all uh, the good details. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find me online at claregallagher.co, not com, co, very important. And I'm on Instagram as the body astrologer. And my book, Body Astrology, is basically all over the place right now. Um, we saw it in Barnes and Noble. That was cute. We saw it and it's on Amazon. It's on wherever you buy your books, it's there. Books a million. <laughs> um, so you just got to do a little search. 
And what do I have going on? I am always doing readings. So you're always welcome to come and see me. My most popular is a nourish reading. It's basically like, if you like body astrology, you'll love a nourish reading. We just kind of talk about everything we talked about today. And that's really all I have going on right now. It's just all about book release and just talking about the book. So that's a lot. That's plenty. It's, a, it's more than enough for me. Yeah. We were talking about that before we got on about the plight of the, the author and yes. how much you have to push your book when it, when it comes out, um, to get, make people aware of you and let people know, like it's, yeah, that, that's just, that's part of it. The, uh, the, uh, I don't know the, the marketing, the marketing that has to happen. Yes. But definitely go check Claire's book out. And of course, I will share all her information on a blog post on my uh, site over at energeticprinciples.com. You can also find me uh, on uh, Instagram at energeticprinciples as well. And uh, yes, and as you know, I have consultations that you can come see me for, uh, including a new one. I just added a new consultation of a three-month hotspot for those uh, that you you like to nerd out and get things in your planner and know when, what day is what and where you're going and, and work on your goals in a short-term period more so than anything, you know, because it's like when we're in the present, we know what's right before us. We can really use that uh, time to our advantage. So if you want to check that out, once again, it's energeticprinciples.com. Um, now, of course, you can sign up for my newsletter, The Heavenly Wind, over there on the website as well. And I just had uh, March's edition go out. I can't even believe it's March already. I like, I swear January 1st was like two days ago. It's like, I, I feel the older you get, like the t- time, time, it's all illusion. I don't know. Um, But yeah, so you can go over there and check that out. Uh, And all right. Well, if you think people need to know about body astrology uh, and how the planets uh, jive with the body and Claire's new book, you're going to definitely want to share this with a friend, leave a review wherever you listen to the podcast. Um, and just spread, spread the good word, uh, because that's how we get these things out there. So I want to thank you again, Claire, for joining me. It was a pleasure getting to wrap with you, my fellow Uranus rising. Uh, it was definitely a pleasure. I had so much fun. Thank you, Mel. All right, everyone. And thanks for tuning in and hearing us wrap all about body astrology. Uh, we wish you, uh, all wellness intuitive wellness, um, and getting to know what your needs are. Um, and yeah, so happy, uh, Pisces season to everyone. And as always may the stars be with you. 